When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where I look at every single Prime Minister from Sir John E. Macdonald all the way up to Justin Trudeau. Before we go forward, I want to say thank you to, and I can't pronounce this, it's just a jumble of letters, but QGSKDIQBCN, who left me a wonderful five-star review. I really do appreciate it, and thank you so much. I also want to say thank you to Sean Reddington, who left me a donation. I really do appreciate it. It helps keep all of this going forward. If you'd like to donate, you can. Just go to CanadaEHX.com and click Donate. You can also donate through Patreon. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX, and you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, and Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. To find a Conservative Prime Minister who served longer than Stephen Harper, you have to go back all the way to Sir John A. Macdonald. Harper is the only Conservative Party of Canada leader to become Prime Minister so far, and he helped lead Canada through the mid-2000s to the mid-2010s, through two minority governments and one majority. Born on April 30, 1959 in Toronto, Harper would grow up in the Leaside neighborhood as the oldest of three sons to Margaret and Joe Harper. The Harper family dates back in Canada to 1784 when Christopher Harper came from Yorkshire to settle in Nova Scotia, where he would become the Justice of the Peace for New Brunswick. The family had a love of history that would be inherited by the children as well. Joseph would often spend nights and weekends researching military insignia, and in 1992, he released the book, Old Colors Never Die, which is a catalog of military flags, pennants, and regimental colors in Canada. Years later, when Joseph visited his son in Ottawa, he spent two weeks in the legislative library researching naval history. Harper's brother Grant is also one of Canada's leading collectors of political memorabilia. Harper would attend the Richview Institute, where he was a member of the Liberal Club at the school, but due to the National Energy Program, he became disenchanted with the party and would change his allegiance to the Progressive Conservatives. In 1978, Harper would compete in the CBC program Reach for the Top, a game show that pitted high school students against each other from the 1960s to the 1980s. It was actually on that game show where Alex Trebek got his start. While his high school lost, Harper was able to record 80 points in his only appearance on the show. After graduating the same year he was on the show, Harper would enroll at the University of Toronto's Trinity College. But two months into his first year, he dropped out and moved to Alberta, which he would describe as a choice made because he wanted to establish independence from his parents. Settling first in Edmonton when he was 19, he would move to Calgary two years later. 
Three years later, he enrolled at the University of Calgary, earning a bachelor's degree in economics in 1985 and a master's degree in 1991. His master's thesis would be titled The Political Business Cycle and Fiscal Policy in Canada. During that time, he worked at various jobs, including as a mailroom clerk at Imperial Oil. In 1993, he would marry Lorene Teske, and the couple would have two children, Benjamin and Rachel. In 1981, Harper would get his first experience in politics when he worked for Jim Hawks, the progressive conservative candidate from Calgary. That relationship would extend to the mid-1980s when Hawks was part of the Brian Mulroney landslide victory. Harper would actually travel to Ottawa to work for Hawks before coming back to Alberta after he became disillusioned with the Mulroney government. Around this same time, the Reform Party was beginning to rise in prominence. Created in 1987, it occupied a centre-right-to-right-wing position and was founded as a Western Canada-based protest movement whose members were discouraged with the Mulroney government. It was the perfect place for Harper, who was trying to find a party that matched his own ideals. Harper quickly became an important figure in the early party, and he would be the party's first chief policy officer under its leader, Preston Manning. He would draft the party platform and the Statement of Principles, which would form the basis of the party's policy bible, also known as the Blue Book. In 1988, Harper would run for a seat in the House of Commons against Hawks, his old boss, but he was easily defeated, finishing second, but 21,000 votes behind Hawks. Harper would call Hawks and ask if he was okay, and Hawks would say years later, quote, he phoned me up to ask if it would be okay because he didn't want to interfere with our relationship. End quote. Harper would then begin working as a policy advisor for Deborah Gray, the first Reform MP, while also serving as a policy chief of the party. The Reform Party convention in Saskatoon has hammered out some new policies, policies aimed at making the party more appealing outside Western Canada. All this set the stage for tomorrow's vote on whether to expand into Ontario and into the Atlantic provinces. Our national affairs correspondent, Wendy Mesley, reports. It began as a Western protest party attacking mainstream parties. Now the Reform Party is cultivating a more mainstream image for itself. We Justin Manning says the only way to win is to avoid extremism. We just want to warn them that they think the Reform Party is a home for that. They're mistaken. They got the message. All the new policy resolutions Manning wanted were adopted. Some were traditional Reform Party fare, such as the call to stop spending money on multiculturalism, but it came with an endorsement from a member of the Chinese community in Vancouver. They do not believe the government should pay them to speak their own language. They are paying money to learn to speak English. Several delegates said they didn't want to appear racist, so they passed another resolution saying that while immigration should be limited to those able to take care of themselves, there should be no limitations based on race or creed. I do wish to speak in favor of this motion. There was also a resolution rejecting enforced bilingualism, but it rejected English-only laws too. That passed easily, with not one angry comment about Quebec. We got to cater to many, many uh, voters. And uh, this is what the resolution was attempting to do, for to try and, and cater to, to, the, to the whole spectrum rather than to radicals like myself. But some delegates say it's just a ploy to appear more moderate. No matter what's passed here today, it's nothing wrote in stone. Still, this Ontario member liked what he saw today. I'm a lot encouraged by what is happening there because I feel so much better about the party now. 
Tomorrow, the party will vote on one of the most important issues in its four-year history, on whether to expand across the country. Preston Manning has made it clear he's all for it, and if today's votes are any indication, the party will endorse his stand on becoming a national party. Wendy Mesley, CBC News, Saskatoon. In 1992, Harper's relationship with party founder Manning would become strained due to the Charlottetown Accord. Harper opposed the accord for ideological reasons, while Manning was open to compromise with the Mulroney government over it. Due to this and disagreements over the hiring of Rick Anderson as an advisor, he would resign as policy chief in October of 1992. Still a member of the party, in 1993, Harper was able to unseat Hawks when he took 52.2% of the vote amid the collapse of the Progressive Conservative Party. Hawks would finish a distant third, 21,000 votes behind Harper this time. At the time, it created bitterness between the two friends, but in the years since, they have reconciled. Hawks would say later in 2013, quote, He was better than anybody I've ever employed. I'm proud of him. End quote. He then served as the Reform Party's critic for finance and national unity and gained attention in the party for his quick intellect, analytical skills, and ability to speak French and English. During this time, he would re-establish his relationship with Manning and stood with him when Manning introduced a 20-point plan to decentralize Canada if the Quebec referendum came back with a no vote, which it did. By this point, Harper was making a name for himself for his opposition to centralized federalism. Harper also established himself as a socially conservative member of the Reform Party. In 1994, he would oppose plans by Alan Rock, the federal justice minister, to introduce spousal benefits for same-sex couples. In response to the proposal, Harper would say, quote, What I hope they learn is not to get into it. There are more important social and economic issues, not to mention the unity question. End quote. At the policy convention of the party in 1994, Harper was part of a very small minority who voted against restricting the definition of marriage to the union of one man and one woman. He would also oppose same-sex marriage and benefits for same-sex couples at the convention but stated that it was because he felt parties should not take official positions on such matters. While in 2005 Harper would speak at an anti-gay marriage rally as an opposition leader, his personal history shows that he never seemed to have an issue with same-sex marriage. In 1993, during a debate in Calgary, Harper would state that sexual orientation was no one's business. He would say at the time, quote, I've been on my own for a long time, and I've never been asked about my sexual orientation. End quote. In 2004, he would meet with Scott Brisson, an openly gay Nova Scotia politician who opposed the conservative policy on same-sex marriage, in the hopes of keeping him in the party. Brisson would say, quote, He explained to me that while I would not be limited as part of his government, social conservatism was essential as part of any winning conservative movement in Canada. End quote. The conservative government under Harper would often employ LGBTQ individuals as well. By his later years and the first term as Member of Parliament, Harper's relationship with the leaders of the party once again became strained. He would openly criticize the party's decision to give Manning a personal expense account, while other reform MPs were asked to forego expenses. While the leadership seemed to be unhappy with him, Harper gained a lot of support from the other MPs in the party. Another issue, according to some reports, was the work to change the image of Preston Manning, including laser eye surgery, vocal coaching, and fresh new suits. Harper apparently didn't like the makeover and felt that it was a distraction from the reform message. 
There's also some speculation that Harper was the one that leaked the wardrobe allowance story to the press. Goldie Hyder, a former strategist with the Conservatives, would say, quote, Stephen quit over that, end quote. Harper surprised everyone in 1997, four years into his time as MP when he stepped down from politics, and he soon found himself as the head of the National Citizens Coalition, a conservative think tank and public advocacy group. Within this think tank, his main concern was the lack of respect he felt the federal government gave Alberta and its oil-producing wealth. In 2001, Harper and five members of what was called the Calgary School, which was a group of conservative academics from the University of Calgary, wrote a National Post article that stated Alberta should build firewalls to protect itself from an aggressive federal government. While out of politics officially, Harper would still voice opposition on various matters. He was against the Calgary Declaration on National Unity. This declaration was an agreement between most of the premiers about how to approach future changes of the Constitution. The declaration referred to the unique character of Quebec rather than recognizing Quebec as a distinct society. Harper stated that it was nothing more than an appeasement strategy against Quebec nationalism. In 1997, Harper would speak on Canadian identity at the Council for National Policy, an American think tank where he would state, quote, Canada is a Northern European welfare state in the worst sense of the term, and very proud of it. If you're all Americans, you know nothing except for your own country, which makes you probably knowledgeable about one more country than most Canadians. The NDP is kind of proof that the devil lives and interferes in the affairs of men. End quote. The speech would come back to haunt Harper and was used to criticize him in 2006, but Harper would state that the speech was intended as humor. In 1998, Harper gave some thought to campaigning for the progressive conservative leadership, but decided against it because it would burn bridges with what he saw as reformers that he worked with for many years. In 1999, Harper would be in Montreal and by chance came across former Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He would write after Trudeau's death a year later, quote, There I came face to face with a living legend, someone who had provoked in me both the loves and hatreds of my political passion, all in the form of a tired-out little old man. It was an experience at once unforgettable, nostalgic, and haunting, end quote. Harper would spend four years with the National Citizens Coalition, during which time the Reform Party became the official opposition in the House of Commons. It also changed its name to the Canadian Alliance, and many started to speculate if Harper would rejoin the party. Harper would also predict that Stockwell Day would defeat Manning for the party leadership, and he believed that Day did not have the ability to lead the party, stating that Day was, quote, making adherence to his social views as a litmus test to determine whether you're in the party or not, end quote. Harper would endorse Tom Long for the leadership, stating that he was the best suited to have the support of the progressive conservatives. But Day would win on the first ballot, and Harper would state that the party was now shifting, quote, more towards being a party of the religious right, end quote. The party would do poorly in the 2000 election, and Harper would co-author the Alberta Agenda document, which called for Alberta to replace the Canada Pension Plan with a provincial plan and replace the RCMP with a provincial police force. In 2002, he did decide that it was time to rejoin the party, and he ran for the leadership against Stockwell Day, the previous leader of the party for the past few years. This came after many in the party called for Day to resign. In June of 2001, there was a report in the National Post that stated reform MPs were beginning to organize a leadership challenge for Harper. 
During the leadership race, he stated that he would not cooperate with the progressive conservatives as long as they were led by Joe Clark. He wanted greater provincial autonomy on Medicare and that he believed in the parental right to use corporal punishment against their children and that he wanted to raise the age of sexual consent. On the first ballot, he would defeat Day with 55% of the vote, becoming the new leader of the party. He then returned to the House of Commons through a by-election representing Calgary Southwest, the former riding of Preston Manning. As a leader of the opposition now, many questioned if he would be able to win enough in the next election to become Prime Minister. Much of the questions came regarding his ability to maintain the unity of the party and if his policies were too right-wing for Canadians. Harper would prove himself to be adept at building a coalition within the party amid the many different viewpoints of its members. Three weeks after becoming leader of the Canadian Alliance, Harper would reach out to Joe Clark and the Progressive Conservatives regarding a possible merger, which was a meeting that failed. Things would change when Peter McKay took over from Clark, and the merger would go forward to create the Conservative Party of Canada. With Prime Minister Paul Martin still dealing with the sponsorship scandal fallout, an issue that was created before he was in power, support for the Liberals was beginning to dry up. Playing on the fact that Paul Martin was the son of a long-time Liberal cabinet minister, Harper would say during one speech, quote, I was not born into a family with a seat at the cabinet table. I grew up playing on the streets of Toronto, not playing in the corridors of power. End quote. In the 2004 election, his first as a leader of the party, he would bring the Conservatives to 99 seats, turning the Liberal majority government into a minority government for the first time since 1972. In the election, the Conservatives made inroads to rural areas of Ontario and were shut out completely of Quebec. The election came soon after the Conservative Party had completed its merger, which contributed to its inability to defeat the Liberals despite the scandals that were plaguing it. On September 9, 2004, Harper met with Bloc Québécois leader Gilles Duceppe and NDP leader Jack Layton, and the three signed a letter and sent it to Governor-General Adrian Clarkson. The document stated, quote, we respectfully point out that the opposition parties, who together constitute a majority in the House, have been in close consultation. We believe that, should a request for dissolution arise, this should give you cause, as constitutional practice has determined, to consult the opposition leaders and consider all of your options before exercising your constitutional authority. End quote. The three party leaders then held a joint press conference stating that they would cooperate on changing parliamentary rules and they requested that the Governor-General consult with them before calling an election. Harper would say, quote, It is the Parliament that's supposed to run the country, not just the largest party and the single leader of that party. That's a criticism I've had, and that we've had, and that most Canadians have had for a long, long time now. So this is an opportunity to change that. End quote. He would add that this was not a coalition government, but a cooperative effort. After the election loss, a leadership review was held in March 2005. As part of a policy update, Harper would drop any opposition to abortion and bilingualism from the platform, and he was endorsed by 84% of the delegates. Harper would also argue for lower taxes, an elected Senate, a tough stance on crime, and better relationship with the United States. Through the next two years, there would be various attempts to initiate a vote of non-confidence to topple the Liberal government. But Paul Martin and his party were able to hang on thanks to the support from the NDP. 
He would lose that support when he refused to accept the NDP plan to prevent health care privatization. On November 28, 2005, a motion of non-confidence was passed in the House of Commons toppling the government. And this was the first time in Canadian history that the government was brought down by a straight motion of non-confidence brought forward by the opposition. The Conservatives would begin to announce a policy per day strategy, which was done because the Liberals would be holding off any major announcements until after Christmas. Throughout the election, Harper's numbers would rise and polls found that he was more trustworthy for leadership among voters and that he was a better choice for Prime Minister. On January 23, 2006, Harper and the Conservatives cruised to a minority government victory, picking up 124 seats to the Liberals' 103. This made Harper the first Westerner to be elected Prime Minister since 1979 when Joe Clark took power. Remember, Kim Campbell wasn't elected, but she took over from Brian Mulroney even though she was from British Columbia. It also ended 13 years of Liberal rule, even if it had the smallest minority government in Canadian history. The focus, the limelight, the adulation, all on Stephen Harper. But for many in the crowd, this is the latest plateau on a long, long journey. The objective was to form a government, and uh, it's a long, slow process in Canada when you start from outside, but uh, I'm very pleased with what's happened tonight. Stephen Harper was the, one of the co-founders of the Reform Party. As he said tonight, the West wanted in. Tonight, the West is in. This victory has brought together red Tories, it spells uh, a great future for this country. We're going to get Canada back on track. Along with former progressive conservative Tories. This is the riding in the country. This is the engine of this country. This is where it all happens. And we've got to send a conservative member of parliament to represent Calgary. All watching the election unfold with the man many believe will be the next conservative premier. And now they'll have a chance to show the rest of the country that they're serious and that they'll be moderate and that they'll be uh, they'll be good governing party and give folks confidence come the next time to bring them into a majority. The convention center floor is a sea of politics, complete with some tense moments. Rumors swirl that the Liberals and NDP are working on a coalition government. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll fight that. You know, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, that we certainly have more seats uh, than, than the Liberals or the NDP. If there's any attempt by the Liberals and the NDP and the Governor-General to deny him that, uh, there's going to be big trouble. After a lengthy delay, Paul Martin concedes defeat and announces he's stepping down as Liberal leader. So the party rages on. But behind the scenes, the jockeying to be part of Harper's cabinet is already well underway. Wherever I'm planted, I'll try to do my very best and uh, be a credit to my constituents and also serve my country well. So we'll see what happens. The common thought is that many of the Alberta Conservatives will be left outside cabinet as Harper tries to expand the party beyond its Alberta base. Rick Donkers, CBC News, Calgary. One aspect of the election that would linger for years was the allegations of improper election spending by the Conservative Party. 
Allegations went on for four years until a plea deal was reached and the conservatives admitted to improper spending and falsifying records to hide the fact. On February 6, 2006, Harper became the 22nd Prime Minister of Canada. One of his first tasks was to cut the federal cabinet from 33 ministers to 27, and most of his cabinet was made up of Albertans or one-time provincial ministers from the Ontario government of Mike Harris. That same year, he became Canada's Newsmaker of the Year, according to Time magazine. In his opening address to Parliament, Harper paid tribute to Queen Elizabeth II and stated that Canada and the United Kingdom were joined by, quote, the golden circle of the crown which links us all together with the majestic past that takes us back to the Tudors, the Magna Carta, habeas corpus, petition of rights, and the English common law, end quote. Many felt that it was the most monarchist speech in the House of Commons since the days of John Diefenbaker. Those around Harper quickly found him to be different from other prime ministers in the past. Like Diefenbaker, he rarely drank and often chose a Diet Coke over liquor. He would often avoid galas and state dinners, choosing to be involved in strategy sessions instead. He is also known to read everything that came through his desk, while other prime ministers mostly skimmed reports from the Privy Council. He would even catch the smallest spelling errors. Some staffers would say that his dry wit was similar to that of Fraser Crane, and he was apparently highly skilled at impressions, including impersonating prime ministers such as Jean Chrétien, Brian Mulroney, and John Diefenbaker. One of the first acts for Harper's government was to reduce the GST from 7% to 5% over the course of two years. And while this would decrease government revenue by $13 billion a year, Harper argued that it was better to keep the money in the pockets of Canadians than the new government programs. The Harper government would also pass the Federal Accountability Act, which eliminated corporate and union donations to political parties, while tightening rules related to lobbying. The government also stopped negotiations with the province for the creation of a publicly funded child care program. Instead, they launched a $1,200 per year program that was given for each child under the age of six. Like his predecessor, Paul Martin, Harper would also make a cameo appearance on Corner Gas on March 12, 2007. Looking at his first term, a group of independent academics in 2019 looked at past prime ministers and the promises they made in a campaign compared to the promises they kept. According to the study, Harper's government kept 85% of his campaign promises, including partially completed pledges. Looking at only completed pledges, his government came through on 77% of its promises. Along with Justin Trudeau, Harper had the highest rates of follow-through on promises of any Prime Minister since 1984. When Harper was a leader of the opposition, he was in favor of Canada participating in the invasion of Iraq by the United States. Day and Harper would co-write a letter in 2003 to the Wall Street Journal that condemned the Canadian government's unwillingness to participate in the Iraq invasion. Once he came to power, he became a supporter of the combat mission in Afghanistan, and his first foreign visit as Prime Minister was to the country in March of 2006. As a result, he became the first sitting Prime Minister to visit the front lines of a combat operation. In addition to visiting the country, Harper had extended the combat role of Canada in Afghanistan from 2009 to 2011. Harper's government would also strengthen the criminal code by putting in higher and mandatory minimum sentences for various crimes, while also doubling the funding of the federal prison system in the first five years in office. While Harper's government would also attempt to put in tough on-crime laws, 
the Supreme Court would dismiss them as contrary to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. During the summer of 2006, fighting would break out in Lebanon, and with 50,000 Lebanese Canadians in Lebanon, most of whom had dual citizenship, Harper's government would arrange and pay to have many of them return to Canada. As well, while away on official business, Harper diverted his plane to pick up several citizens. On November 22, 2006, with the bloc planning on introducing a motion in the House that called for the recognition of Quebec as a nation, Harper introduced his own motion that would recognize the Quebecois as a nation within a united Canada. And this motion would pass by a margin of 266 to 16. In the 2008 election, Harper was able to grow the number of seats for the Conservatives, reaching 143, while the Liberals fell to 77. It was a still a minority government, but it was a stronger minority than before. The election was also called by Harper because of the severity of the 2008 recession, but his decision also circumvented his own law, passed in 2007, that established fixed election dates. The election would actually turn out to have the lowest voter turnout in Canadian history, and the Conservatives were elected with only 22% of the support of eligible voters. In the wake of the financial crisis, Harper's first budget in a second term limited government spending but provided no economic stimulus either. He would also suspend the right of federal civil servants to strike, and the budget would end public funding of political parties. In Parliament, there was an immense opposition to the budget, and the Liberals, NDP, and Bloc Québécois announced that they would form a coalition to overturn the government. Harper then asked Governor-General Michel Jean to prorogue Parliament from December 4, 2008 to January 26, 2009. And by the time Parliament resumed, the coalition had unraveled and the Conservatives were able to keep hold of power. Between 2009 and 2012, the Harper government delivered $45 billion in federal stimulus spending, which created the first federal deficits in a decade. While it created a deficit, it also ensured that Canada emerged from the financial crisis better off than many other nations. In 2009, Harper once again prorogued Parliament, which many saw as an attempt to avoid an inquiry into Canada's role regarding the treatment of Afghan detainees. The proroguing of Parliament lasted from December 30, 2009 to March 3, 2010, after the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver had been completed. Several critics accused Harper of shutting down democracy, and small demonstrations took place on January 23rd in 64 Canadian communities and five cities in other countries. A protest group started on Facebook quickly signed up 20,000 members, and on January 7th an Angus Reid poll found 53% of respondents were opposed to the prorogation, with 38% believing that Harper was avoiding the Afghan detainee issue. In February 2012, the Harper government would pass Bill C-30, also known as the Protecting Children from Internet Predators Act. The legislation didn't actually have provisions related to child sexual abuse online, but it did provide law enforcement the ability to track online activity, including gathering information without a warrant. The legislation resulted in a huge backlash from the public and would not pass into law as a result. On March 25, 2011, Parliament would vote 156 to 145 in a non-confidence vote, citing contempt of Parliament regarding a refusal to disclose information related to the cost of the law and order agenda, the purchase of fighter jets, and a corporate tax cut. This charge of contempt was the first in Canadian history but would backfire on the opposition. On the May 2, 2011 election, 
Harper returned with his first majority government, winning 166 out of 308 seats. This gave the Conservative Party its first majority since 1988, when the Mulroney Progressive Conservatives earned their second majority government. This election was one of the most impactful in Canadian history. For the first time ever, the Liberals were relegated to third-party status, while the NDP became the official opposition for the first time. The Bloc Québécois collapsed and lost their official party status, while the Green Party elected its first MP. It is a huge moment for him, his first chance to really show where he wants to take the country. But first, he had to enjoy it, although Harper's not exactly a party animal. He was carefree enough to take one unscheduled extra question this morning to tell how his staff tried to get him to drink champagne last night. They passed me the champagne and wanted me to guzzle it out of the bottle and... Some of you may know I'm not much of a drinker, but I did. However, they tricked me. There was only like that much in it, so so much for my wild side. On other issues, there was no wild side. Will he open the door to private delivery of health care, as he has recommended in the past? Not much. Provinces have, within the existing framework, experimented with alternative delivery, but that is different than moving away from the basis of a universal system of public health insurance coverage, and we are all committed to that. As for his party's poor showing in Quebec, he said... That's the decision of the voters, and we accept it, and we accept that we have a lot more work to do uh, to gain the true confidence of Quebecers, and we're dedicated to doing that. And he was careful not to suggest any dramatic or radical agenda. But even as a majority, you have to, on an ongoing basis, keep the trust of the population, and that's what we will be committed to doing, not only where we won, but in areas where we didn't win. The win also brought about accusations that the Conservatives had used robocalls to direct voters to fake polling stations. There were complaints issued in 247 of Canada's 308 ridings. Conservative staff member Michael Sona would be convicted and jailed for the scandal. And several protests occurred in March and April of 2012 in 27 Canadian cities. But the Commissioner of Canada elections would state that after an investigation, there was not enough evidence to provide grounds to believe an offense had been committed. With that third consecutive win, Harper became the first Conservative Prime Minister to win three elections in a row since John Diefenbaker did between 1957 and 1962. Only Diefenbaker, Sir John A. Macdonald and Harper have accomplished this as Conservative leaders. Throughout Harper's time in the Prime Minister's office, he often took a strong pro-Israel stance. In 2012, he would suspend relations with Iran, and Canada would become one of only nine countries to vote against a United Nations resolution giving Palestine symbolic statehood. Crime was also a big part of Harper's majority government agenda, and his government would grant new surveillance and detention powers to police under Bill C-51, which came after the shootings on Parliament Hill on October 22, 2014. With his majority government, Harper also eliminated the long-form census and federal allowances to register political parties. His government also sold the Canadian Wheat Board, reduced MP pensions, and abolished the Long Gun Registry. Harper's government also put strong emphasis on Arctic sovereignty, while also drafting new trade deals with South Korea, the Pacific Rim, and the European Union. In 2015, Harper would call an 11-week election campaign. During this campaign, Harper issued several tax breaks, but his campaign quickly began to sputter amid the fraud trial of Senator Mike Duffy, which stated that Harper knew about the $90,000 check written by his chief of staff to cover the falsely claimed expenses of Duffy. 
Another major issue came about when Harper promised to oppose a woman's right to wear hijab in a citizenship ceremony. This grew into an election issue and it ate away at his support as people began to align more with the NDP, especially in Quebec. On October 19, 2015, Harper's government fell to the Liberals under new leader Justin Trudeau, who won 184 seats in a majority government. The Conservatives won 99 seats and Harper soon resigned as leader of the party. The Conservatives would lose all of their seats in Toronto, winning only three in the Greater Toronto Area, and were shut out completely in Atlantic Canada. While some have criticized Harper, there were some bright spots for his government. He would officially apologize to the Chinese Canadians for the Chinese head tax implemented by Sir Johnny MacDonald and expanded from 1885 to 1923. He would recognize the Quebec as a nation within Canada, helping to reduce the separatism rhetoric in the province, and he apologized to the Indigenous people for the government's role in creating the residential school system. In his apology on June 11, 2008, he would state, quote, The government of Canada sincerely apologizes and asks for forgiveness of the Aboriginal peoples of the country for failing them so profoundly. We are sorry. End quote. Mr. Speaker, I stand before you today to offer an apology to former students of Indian residential schools. The treatment of children in Indian residential schools is a sad chapter in our history. In the 1870s, the federal government, partly in order to meet its obligations to educate Aboriginal children, began to play a role in the development and administration of these schools. Two primary objectives of the residential school system were to remove and isolate children from the influence of their home, families, traditions, and cultures, and to assimilate them into the dominant culture. These objectives were based on the assumption that Aboriginal cultures and spiritual beliefs were inferior and unequal. Indeed, some saw it, as was infamously said, to kill the Indian in the child. Today, we recognize that this policy of assimilation was wrong, has caused great harm, and has no place in our country. On the flip side, Harper's government also refused to release records related to residential schools to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, while also reducing funding to Indigenous organizations and programs. The Jobs and Growth Act of 2012 and the anger over it would also lead to the Idle No More movement. Harper's government also increased the budget for Veterans Affairs Canada from $2.85 billion in 2005 to $3.55 billion in 2015, even while the number of veterans being served declined by 20,000 that same time period. From 2006 to 2008, the Harper government would have a budget surplus of $13.8 and $9.6 billion, but that would change the following year due to the 2008 financial crisis. From 2009 to 2013, the budget would fall into a deficit with a height of $55.6 billion in 2009 and a low of $5.2 billion in 2013. In 2014, the budget was balanced with a surplus of $1.9 billion. Harper also made international relations a priority during his time in office. He would travel to China in 2009, the first time a Canadian Prime Minister had visited China in five years. He would address the Australian Parliament in 2007, and in 2015 he stated that Russia should be removed from the G7, stating, quote, Mr. Putin has no place at the G7 table, and I don't believe there is any leader who would defend Mr. Putin having a place. 
End quote. Of course, Harper would also cut foreign aid to Africa by $700 million during his time in office. One of the most contentious issues related to Harper comes on the environmental side of things. On the one hand, Canada's greenhouse gas emissions fell by 20 metric tons between 2006 and 2015, compared to a 149 metric ton increase from 1993 to 2006. Much of this reduction is attributed to the initiatives by provincial governments and the ending of coal-fired power plants in Ontario, as well as the economic recession. As was stated before, the Harper government withdrew Canada from the Kyoto Protocol, but Harper's government would invest $5 billion in public transit projects in Canada from 2006 to 2013, and provided a 15% public transit tax credit for citizens who use transit passes. Scientific transparency was also an issue under the Harper government. Scientists employed by the government were not allowed to speak to the media or report their findings without government permission, and significant cuts were made to research and other forms of data collection. Over 2,000 scientists were dismissed, and funding was cut to many research facilities under Harper. Some funding cuts were so deep that the monitoring of smokestack emissions, food inspections, oil spills, water quality and climate change were shut down entirely in some places. Now serving as a backbencher, Harper kept a low profile and attended Parliament only for votes. Rather than talk to media, he would often exit out the back door. His first public appearance after he resigned as leader was at the Conservative Party Policy Convention on May 26, 2016, and he would say at that event, quote, We have a proud record, but the past is no place to linger. Now is the time to look forward. Our party's journey is only beginning. End quote. On August 26, 2016, Harper resigned as an MP in a video he posted to his social media accounts. Greetings, fellow Calgarians and fellow Canadians. Today I wish to inform you that I'm stepping down as the Member of Parliament for Calgary Heritage. For a total of nearly 18 years, I've had the tremendous honour of representing Calgary in the Parliament of Canada. On seven occasions, I've been deeply humbled by your trust and support time and again. And I leave elected office proud of what our team accomplished together. We united all Conservatives behind our agenda. We cut taxes, made critical investments, and balanced the national budget. We got tough on crime and put families first. We managed our G7 economy through the worst global recession since the Great Depression and came out in the strongest position of them all. We took principled decisions in a complex and dangerous world. And whether at home or abroad, we were always proud to stand up for Canada. Friends, we did a lot together, but I know the best is yet to come. Our country must continue to serve as a model of prosperity and freedom. Pursue the principles we've stood for at home and abroad, and our children and our children's children will inherit the Canada we know and love so dearly. As I bid farewell to the Parliament of Canada and prepare for the next chapter of my life, my eternal thanks to the constituents of Calgary Heritage, to the members of the Conservative Party, and to all Canadians for having given me the honour of serving the best country in the world. May God bless all of you, and may God bless Canada. Following his resignation, Harper launched the Harper & Associates Consulting Incorporated Company. In 2017, he would take on a position as an advisor with the Silicon Valley Tech Fund 8VC, which invests in healthcare, financial, and transportation companies. On October 16, 2018, he would publish Right Here, Right Now, Politics and Leadership in the Age of Disruption. 
Harper was always an avid fan of hockey and the Toronto Maple Leafs as well as the Calgary Flames. And he would write a book called A Great Game, The Forgotten Leafs and the Rise of Professional Hockey. In 2019, Harper was presented with the Order of Canada. He was also made an honorary chief of the Alberta Blood Tribe due to his apology for the residential school abuse that happened in the 20th century. In 2012, he was named the World Statesman of the Year and he received the Woodrow Wilson Award thanks to his public service while living in Calgary. Upon the resignation of Andrew Scheer as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, some speculated that Harper would run to replace him. And that, of course, didn't happen. But it shows the long shadow Harper casts over the party he once led to its greatest height. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Stephen Harper. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy Hayden Doug Campbell Reg W Deborah Carlson Francis Helbling Randa McCallum Diane Wade, Lorianne Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rowa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from the Canadian Encyclopedia, National Post, CBC, Wikipedia, Maclean's, Library and Archives Canada, The Canada Guide, and the BBC. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.